This podcast produced by Van Garrett Media. Potholes, they're everywhere. They're growing. They're taking over our streets. Why the hell are there so many potholes? Danny Page today, he's our guest. He's with the Utah Department of Transportation Maintenance Department. He's the director. That's our topic today, Inside Salt Lake. My name, Jim DeBacchus. Inside Salt Lake right now, Mr. Danny Page, he is the UDOT Maintenance Director. It's your job to fill every pothole <laughs> in the state of Utah. <laughs> yeah, we have a, we've had a pretty tough winter this year, so we're, our forces are out, and you guys can see they're out actively filling potholes and there's a lot of different things that come into forming and, and filling a pothole on the different routes. But uh, one of our main things is keeping our guys safe when we're out there on the roadway, our maintenance forces. So we're always trying to be aware of when we can do this. And not only when it's safe for the traveling public, but also safe for our forces as well. What, uh, how many potholes are there in the state in a given year? <laughs> I mean, is there a census or do you? You know, it's, it, it obviously varies by the type of winter we have. This past year, with the, the very, very heavy winter that we've had, obviously we're going to see a greater number of potholes just because the number of moisture that we get into the road, the freeze-thaw cycles that we have, that typically generates more potholes throughout the entire state. So, so the wetter the, the the season, the more good for our reservoirs that <laughs> you guys see it the other way we do, we do especially when we have a very long and very cold winter where we have a lot of those freeze thaw cycles that's really what's very detrimental to our pavements is when we get like a normal spring typical weather in utah during during the morning morning we're getting moisture it's filtrating down at night that water's freezing it's creating you know as, as water freezes obviously it expands creates weakness and then as the vehicles come through, they continue to break up that pavement that's kind of been pushed out by that uh, freeze-thaw cycle. Okay, go back a little bit. Now. You bet. All right, we're, ma- we're making a road, and I don't know, there's a lot of roads, so pick a, <laughs> pick okay. a kind of road. Okay, we're you got picking it. a road, and we find dirt first somewhere. Yeah, we do. Okay, and then, and, then, and then you have those big rollers. I assume they go yep. in and they flatten down this thing. They do. Do you check it? In the, what do you want to know that's underneath the road? What we want to do is we... we, we test for a couple number of things. Number one is we test for compaction. We test for soil characteristics. We want to know whether that soil is made of clays or whether it's a granular material which allows the water to flow through. Um, obviously, with, with plastic material or the clays, that presents a problem for us. So we actually have our minerals or our materials that we use kind of categorized based on the type of roads that we're building. For example, we have, not to go into too many details, but we have a granular borrow level, which is the very base sublevel. And that usually consists of a little bit bigger rock, non-plastic material, but that's one of our base layers that allows that material to allow water to flow without migrating mines out. And then we have a secondary layer, layer, and that's kind of our untreated base layer. So, so it doesn't. If you're at bedrock, or if you've got um, clay stuff, because mm-hmm. I assume in Utah we have everything. We have, and we have that salt yep. stuff by yep. the Great Salt Lake. So <laughs> you got every kind of terrain. You got to build do. a road. So there's a foundation that goes on there. Absolutely. No matter what's on the bottom. Yep. You, but it can change depending on the soil that's underneath. Absolutely. What you put on there. Absolutely. If like for an example, if we have a very heavy clay layer, we'll go in there and put a geotextile. 
And what of that, course, that's we all do. Yeah, that. Absolutely. <laughs> and what that geotextile does is that it helps to increase the strength of the existing soil. Plus, it helps to kind of create tensile strength across that soil. So that for so what is that? Is that like a kind of dirt or it's a no, kind of rocks or a, what's a, a geotextile? Is kind of a fabric. It's uh -huh. a polymer fabric that it's kind of laid out in a grid pattern. Uh -huh. And so when you lay that down and you roll it, what happens is it puts it in tension. And so that actually increases the ability for our roads to handle, or our uh, pavements to handle loading, if you will. So that's the kind of thing that maybe we have in our yards that that go that, that black stuff. It, it, that's or, that's or, one or part. At least that's what it looks like. Yeah, that's one like part. Because that. you, you don't want trees growing up in the middle of the road. Absolutely. Right? So then you figure out what's the soil, mm -hmm. and then you lay down what one, two, three layers of this of different things. On yeah, the, the geotextile kind of depends on what our what our pavement engineers and our geotechnical engineers tell us. Do they all have geotextiles? Not not all of them no, do. Some, no, okay, no. okay. I mean, if you go into an area that's very granular, like a mountain view out on the west side that we just built, and that material was basically perfect material for road building, and so there's really no need to add that geotextile. So every situation is a little different, and that's where our folks, the geotechs and the pavement management engineers come into play as far as telling us we want a certain design life out of that pavement. In order to get that design life, we have to add these type of materials into the pavement to get us to, to that design life. So it could be from, what, six months to 100 years? <laughs> I mean, what is the life of a... We, we usually design our pavements for, and it varies based on asphalt and concrete. I believe our concrete design life is 50 years, and I believe our asphalt pavement is around 20 to 40 years based on what we're trying to do and the location, for example, a secondary road versus an arterial. Why don't I mean, we use all the 50-year stuff? Why do we have? Why do we cost. use some of the 40? It's <laughs> it a lot cheaper to use it. It comes down to cost, and it comes down to availability of the material in some locations, and it also comes down to what's easier to construct. Mm -hmm. For example, in some locations, we don't want to impact the traveling public for longer than we need to. And so we're always trying to be conscious of what we're trying to do on all aspects and balance it between the traveling public, the cost, and other priorities that we have without the state. So now we've got two or three layers, depending on what it is. Yeah. Then we get to the, the juice there, the concrete or the asphalt. We do. And, and where do we... What do you? How do you do that? Do you just order the concrete, or do you just save? How do you even get that much concrete in the asphalt? Well, that's that comes back to our payment engineers, and we. And the other thing is, we have tremendous contractors here in the valley that help us, and so we're always working with them and teaming with them to come up with what we call a payment design, what the best payment design is for that location, and again, that's that's a balance between our costs and our other needs, but. In some locations, they'll come back, and we have our payment engineers really good about telling us very prescriptively what type of material we need, not only the type of um, material for the asphalt, but the asphalt itself. There's different grades of asphalt based on weather temperature conditions, and they tell us exactly what those are. Same with concrete. There's so you don't depend on the contractor to no, do that. We you tell, tell them, them. We spec it out. And, and do do you always hire a contractor, or does that do you have crews that build the roads sometimes? We do have crews that, that help us with different types of roads. Like, for example, in different parts of the states, we have chip skill crews and paving crews that go in, and, but their fit function is more to do preventive maintenance mm. than it is actually the road building itself. We rely on our heavy contractors to do that. And when, um, all right, so then you, you come up with that kind of bid, and then there's some process, and somebody wins the bid, and they go to, they go to work, and then you guys make sure they're 
putting that geo stuff on the right way and it's not backwards <laughs> and, yeah, and whatever. Somebody keeps track of that. Mm-hmm. And then then the asphalt goes on. Yep. And you pour that and it's hot and then yeah. they roll it and they do whatever. We do. So where the hell do the cracks come from? Where, where, well, where, I mean, <laughs> it just seems like we ought to take care of that here. Well, it's, it's funny because, I mean, all pavements are going to have some type of a, they have to breathe. I mean, if, if pavements can't breathe, then we're in trouble. And so all of our pavements, regardless, are somewhat, um, if you will, permeable. I mean, you can fit concrete, it's also permeable. It may take a little bit longer for the water to get down there, but eventually it's going to get down in there. Um, we also try to be very preventive on what we're trying to do. For example, most of our pavements, a year or two after we put down the initial pavement, we come back and put a seal on it. That's just kind of our pavement strategy for good roads cost less. The same thing with concrete. You can see... You know, we don't necessarily go in and do a seal, but you'll see over the life of that concrete, we go in and do different things to kind of help manage the cracking or the deterioration of the concrete itself. So uh, a year later, you put over whatever, what do you, what do you use, like paintbrushes? Or no, no, no. There, there's there's, there's a lot of different methods. There's like a chip seal. There's what we call an open-graded surface course. There's a micro-surfacing. It just, again, depends on the area what we're trying to protect. So somehow you put that on, and, and somebody's figured out that yep. it's cheaper to put that stuff on, even though it's expensive at the moment, but it's going to last another five years or yep. ten it's years or whatever. Like the we like to, we like to uh, make it seem – we like to – you know, it's like changing the oil on your car. It's preventative maintenance. Your car is going to last longer if we do that. And, and the big key here is to keeping the water out. Anything we can do to keep the water out right. of that pavement is is going to you know prolong the life of that pavement. But it's but some water. You're saying it's it has to also breathe and be permeable. So yeah. how do you balance that? You if it has to breathe, but you don't want yeah. any water. So that, that's where the that's where these seals come in because the pavement still has voids underneath, but it's still able to breathe. From the outside, we're just trying to seal that top surface. Mm. And so that's kind so of so that there's a drainage at the bottom of a of a road is. somehow, and, yeah. and is there like little coverts or that where, we where do the have water drain- goes out? We do have drainage systems, and that's where we we talked about that material earlier, that granular barrel that helps to filtrate the water out to those drainage systems, mm-hmm. and so that way we can capture that water in those drainage systems and get rid of it and get it out of the roadway. So tell me, uh, a pothole. Where does it where does it start? It really starts with, like what Rob just mentioned, the water getting into the pavement. Okay. And that's where it starts. And then that freeze-thaw cycle. sealer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's... It's, okay, it gets in there. It gets in there. In there we go through a freeze-thaw. As, yeah. as water continues to expand, when it freezes, it creates a point of weakness. Then so we have it's, a, so it's, it's, it's getting bigger and then smaller and yeah, then bigger and exactly. smaller, and then it starts breaking up. Yep. And then we have traffic, which likes to pound on it, and that also helps to exasperate the situation. So... So can people help? Well, I think people can always help. It's just a matter of, I mean, right now, one of our biggest tools that we use is actually what we call our C-click-fix um, tool. Mm-hmm. So when they see a pothole starting to form, they dial in, and then our crews can go out and repair it when it's, like you mentioned, when it's that smaller before it has hey, a chance I to expand. I didn't know that. That's, yeah. a system, that's a program right now? Yep, that's a program right Report now. Report a pothole? <laughs> yep. And they can actually go in and geolocate it so our guys know exactly where it's at. 
And so that's a tool that we use that's to manage. That's the coolest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's cool. Maybe we ought to put a little tar in everybody's, <laughs> you know, we could give them a tax credit or something. <laughs> Maybe you don't want to go that far, right? But, so, uh, so that's a that's a big deal, you guys. So, will you only go to you only like in Salt Lake? You'll only go to State Street or we go to our state East yep. or Thirteenth East. You're not going to go, you know, come to my neighborhood. I right. want to click them, whatever. We're going to focus on our state routes because that's what we take care of. But we're obviously the local communities do their routes as well. What well, if we, as, as the spokesperson for UDOT, I that's the one big, that's probably the biggest misconception is that we have every single road in the state. If somebody wakes up and in their cul-de-sac, there's a pothole, I get a call and, hey, why haven't you filled this pothole? <laughs> it's just the state routes. Uh, in fact, there was a news story that we just did. Um, I think it was Channel 4 that came out and said, hey, I want to talk to you about these potholes on Highland Drive. Highland Drive is in our road. And every every, every municipality, every, every city, county, they do their best to keep up on it. It's it really is when we have uh, such a such an active winter like we had this last winter. You really can see the difference between, say, a less active winter and then one that we where we had storm after storm and where it was warming up and cooling down all within a period of yeah. of a day or so. I mean, that's that just really kind of exasperates the issue. And there's there's. There's no kind of no solution to this. I mean, we're never going to have roads that, you know, we just go in and change them every 10 years and there's no potholes and whatever. This is the weather and it's roads and it's going to happen and it's just part of the whole process. It is. Like was mentioned before, we, we look at it as a car. When you drive a car, you're going to have to systematically do things to keep it operating at its highest efficiency. Same thing happens with roads. I understand you're supposed to change the oil. Is that what you're <laughs> on a car? Some of us do that. Oh, I have no idea. I've made a mistake before. <laughs> um, is there, is there uh, a key here toward, as far as you're concerned, for how to, how to minimize these? Like when you're talking to cities or new city people or whatever, what, what do you say? I, I think the best strategy for us is to make sure when we're doing these these payment projects to get the best quality payments we possibly can from day one. When you build them. When we build them. I think that goes a long way. And then also, again, having that preventive maintenance plan. Knowing when you're going to apply these secondary treatments and third treatments at the right time to prolong the life of the payment. And there's also, you know, our maintenance crews. Our maintenance crews are always out there. You're going to see them out there in the fall a lot of the times doing crack sealing. Well, that's exactly what they're doing. Those, they're filling those cracks. And the best time to do that is kind of in the late fall, early spring, when you get those colder that temperatures. That little, like, uh, little yep, hoses, and they yep. kind of looks like they're putting tar in there. And, it is. And that's what they're doing. Yep, and they're filling those up. So as a government, we're always trying to save money. Mm -hmm. And so the temptation, I suppose, is, eh, you know, let that go another year. What, what do we need that new <laughs> ceiling? There's no, like, bang for the buck. It looks fine from the outside. How do you fight that? Well, I think that the biggest thing is, is every year our payments deteriorate and every year we continue to wait just means it's going to cost us more and more money to come back and fix those. So again, that's where we try to find that optimum time for those treatments. And we do those treatments during those time frames to save us money down the road. And so that our 40 year payment actually gets us to 40 years. And so that's, that's really what we're trying to do. So I won't ask you to name any places in particular, but are there 
cities or counties or places when you just roll your eyes and go, well, we're going there because they kind of opt out for the cheapest thing or whatever? No, I think we can always sympathize. We've got a lot of different needs in a lot of different counties and cities needs just like the state. So we're always trying to find that right balance of what we spend our money on. Yeah. So we can understand the situation they're put in. Well, there you have it. Uh, there it is, the story of um, the potholes. And this is going to be a big year for them. When are you going to have everything fixed on state? Uh, <laughs> seven and then 13. I'm sure we're on the list, right? On the How list. do you decide, by the way? You got, you got this big pot of money. Right, that the state gives you, and it's supposed to go for pothole fixing. How do you decide we're going to Provo, or we're going to Logan, or well, we're going? Well, the way that UDOT's structured is we have four different regions, and they all have their different sources of funding that they use based on the type of program that they're running. And we all have a preventive program, we have a rehabilitation program, and then we have a reconstruction program. Which district is the best one? <laughs> they're all great. <laughs> okay, I kind of like District Two. <laughs> <laughs> All right. John Gleason is a public information officer for UDOT. And let's take a couple of minutes. To, where where are we as states go? I mean, I, 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 if I hear a complaint, it is sometimes we're too good that we, we rank kind of first on a lot of roads and a lot of those kind of things. And maybe we're, maybe we're, we just put too many resources that way. Well, you know, I think, I think for, I say that, I say that well, for many of us that grew up in Utah and Salt Lake, there's, there's a little bit of a little brother mentality where we were always looking towards other cities, other States and saying, well, why are they getting more recognition? Why are they being seen as, as better than us? And, and, in the case of our roads, we're really looked at as, as leaders in the U.S. We, uh, we have some of the best roads, some of the uh, best bridges in, in, the US, in the United States. And, and that's, not by, that's not by accident. It really has uh, been a concerted effort over the last, oh, 20 or so years where we've, where we've really made an investment in, um, in our infrastructure. Most of, you know, one, one question I get every year is, is about our bridges where we rank and there was a new study that was just released oh i'd say a month or so ago that had us listed as number two in the united states for the quality of our bridges and you know if you taught if we'd had this conversation 20 years ago that that would be a much different situation if you look at all of the big road projects that we've had on i-15 with um you know, I-15 core project, the point of the mountain project, the one that we're doing in Lehigh right now, the technology uh, corridor, and then here on, you know, in I-80, all of the Renovate 80 projects. Most of our bridges are, are relatively new over the last two decades, uh, starting with the big major I-15 reconstruction just prior to the I-15 or to the 2002 Winter Olympics. And we did, we managed to hoodwink the feds on that, right? I mean, I, I don't know how many hundred million dollars John McCain knows. He used to give this speech. Uh, yeah, we need we need that for security. You know, you better build I-15 out there. We, I, we, had, we had pretty good congressional help there, didn't we? Um, 
Well, yeah. <laughs> okay, all right, never mind. I'm just looking forward to the next Olympics, so we can revamp the rest of it. Do you, all have, right. do you have any intel on that? Yeah, I hope so. All right, well, as you can see, these are good people, Department of uh, Transportation for the state of Utah, and they're going to keep an eye on timing the lights and making sure that the potholes are filled. Thanks, guys. This podcast produced by Van Garrett Media.